hamster with a blunt penknife would do it quicker. Welcome back to uh, Hamster with a Blunt Penknife. Uh, possibly the, the most glorious times in my life. I am here with the magnificent Simon Hart. Say hello, Simon. Hello, Simon. Say hello, Fraser. Hello, Fraser. Oh, man. Uh, just as a complete side note, and it's very self-indulgent, but I completely adore these guys, and doing this with them is literally one of the biggest pleasures of my life at the moment. Um, but I'm going to move on from being indulgent and say, guys, I've got a question for you. I've <laughs> Um, do you think, I think, um, parts of this story, uh, they are trying to tap into horror parts of this story. Certainly the skull, the shadow. Do you think that the horror elements of the Graham Williams era are as effective as what's been and what is to come or no or not? I am going to say no. Oh. I think what we've had before with the Hinchcliffe era, um, in terms of things like the Pyramids of Mars and the Queen of Morbius, is, is the quintessential horror Doctor Who. If you want, you know, your, your horror, you go gothic, you go with the Hinchcliffe. Couple of Graham Williams, your horror, then we're going to see this. Um, when we talk about this a lot more in sort of episode four, five, six, three, it's very more hammer. It's very more of a jokey type of, of horror. Um, so it depends whether you like your horror to be a little bit comedy, a little bit jokey, or whether you actually want it to be horrific, I suppose. Sorry. I agree with Fraser, and I think um, Graham Williams was put in a really difficult position that he was under scrutiny. And he came into the job with the one proviso, don't upset Mary Whitehouse again. <clears throat> Take the horror out. And there's a whole series of memos you see through this era from Graham MacDonald, who's the head of Serials and Series, saying, Take this out. This is too horrific. That shot of the knife got to go. Don't do this. Don't do that. We're not having this. We're not we're not going there. And I think he's under greater scrutiny than any producer of Doctor Who up to this point has ever been. He's not got the freedom to do that stuff. When he does do it in Image of the Fendal and Horror of Fang Rock and Stones of Blood, it's very effective, but it's very different to how it's been done. It's kind of neutered, I think, in a lot of ways. They can't push it the way that Philip Hinchcliffe did. But I think those bits still work it really interesting answers thanks guys um i i god i'm not going to agree and disagree i keep doing this with you guys um, but <laughs> I, I i i do think there's some really interesting conceptual horror in graham williams time uh so it's not over it's not like visceral horror like i don't know people being pumped into the garden or being strangled by mummy tits or whatever you know <laughs> did. um but it's like i'm um, sorry it's that does happen right it does it really yeah. does what are you laughing for then <laughs> um you've such a great turn of phrase that's why thank you um but i think like ideas like in the pirate planet of entire worlds being you know 
uh, devoured, um, things like that. I think that they're they're really like when you think about those ideas, they're really really scary. Um, but I think maybe that's as an adult, I, I I'm more thoughtful about what I'm watching. And as a child, you probably sit there watching it, going, "Well, you know, where are the mummy tits? You know, like I'm used to this, you know." <laughs> But, I mean, as a four-year-old, I found Doctor Who terrifying. I found um, the Daleks and Destiny of the Daleks and Daphros scary. I found Scaroff particularly terrifying, particularly the cliffhanger of pulling off his face and there being a horrible monster underneath. And I can't, actually, I can't remember whether I found the, the Mandrels and the Nightmon particularly terrifying. But Doctor Who was always scary and fun. What about yeah. the 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 marshmen coming out of the water? Did that oh, scare God, yeah. oh, that was yeah, that was really really. Oh my God, my sister still has um has a thing about well, she has a thing about spiders, and she still remembers the spiders in the melons, and coming out that and the spiders scuttling across the floor. That really really terrified her. I feel like we're tapping into something here. Um, so before we mm -hmm. get in, Fraser, I just want to ask you: Has Doctor Who ever scared you? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Oh wow, absolutely. tell me. Remembrance uh, of the Daleks, episode one, the cliffhanger, um, classic cliffhanger, as we discussed yesterday, um, the Dalek is coming up the stairs, the Doctor's at the top of the stairs, the door is shut, he can't get through that door, that was shit a brick time for me, um, that was actually, um, story to go with that is that my grandma was looking after me at that particular time, and um, my mum was out, so I was that scared of that moment of the Dalek climbing up the stairs and terrifying Sylvester McCoy that the following week I wasn't allowed to watch how it was resolved. Oh, yeah, maybe you say. Oh, it. no, that makes it even worse because <laughs> then you don't know if you've got away. She made us tape it and um, I had to watch it the next day when my mum was home because obviously mm -hmm. it was like half past seven kickoff yeah. at that time, so it was taped when my mum was home from work, sort of five o'clock. Past four, five o'clock. I was allowed to watch it then. Um, so you know, I've got to, I've got a really, and that's a really powerful memory for me. It's, it's a really good one of my gran, who's no longer with us, and it's also that was the first episode of Doctor Who I ever watched that. No. Watching, um, so I've got that sort of it burned in my mind as like that is mm -hmm. why I'm a Doctor Who fan now, it's because that Dalek went up them stairs and scared me so much that I couldn't watch next week's, I wasn't allowed to watch next week's. I think oh. I think I've got two. Uh, as a child, I don't, I don't think I'll ever ever get over Sister Lamont from Terror of the Zygons oh. and that blood down her arm when she's walking through the forest. And to this day, if someone comes up to me in a hospital and says you're going to be very well taken care of, I'm terrified. <laughs> um, uh, and I think as an adult, the thing that scared me the most was do you remember that bit in the Deadly Assassin with the samurai. And his eyes coming through the mask, and there's like a there's something about that image just really freaked me out, and I don't quite know why. Um, so, oh, it's nice to know that we've all been scared shitless by Doctor Who. Then, yeah. Another. Mm -hmm. yeah. Although I think I don't know, so I think you you got the best of it here because you were absolutely watching it like through the early eighties mm -hmm. as a child. Yeah, the, the yeah, the most terrifying thing ever in Doctor Who for me was snake dance 
and the Mara possession of Tegan was the most terrifying thing in my whole childhood. I had a real thing. I'd read a story in Peter Davison's book of alien monsters <laughs> about a monster that possessed um, a child and was talking to its sister with, with the wrong voice. And that just terrified me. And then it happened to Tegan on TV. Wow. And it was just, oh, no, Snake Dance gave me nightmares. That was the Doctor Who that really, really, more than any other one. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's nice to know it's doing its thing, right? Like Doctor Who yeah. genuinely frightened us at some point. Mm -hmm. Armageddon Factor, did that frighten you at any point? No. <laughs> Me not. <laughs> yeah, the thing, though. It could have done. It could have done. Yeah. yeah. It could have done. done. It, episodes three and four it went the same way as episodes one and two have gone. If it really stuck to the sort of powers of war theme and really played that as, as much as they could have done, mm. this could have been a really um, sort of psychologically terrifying story. Um, also, the shadow. If the shadow, you know, when we get to play the episode, we'll see the shadow's first appearance, and it's a very powerful appearance. It's a very powerful scene. If he had stayed that way throughout the story, I think we would have been a lot more scared of the shadow. But he does go very pantomime very quickly. Um, but yeah, if it stuck the course with that, we this could have been a genuinely gothic terrifying story. Wow. Okay. On that note, shall we skip into episode three? Well, we better had. Okay. <laughs> record and uh, I am ready, gentlemen, if you are. I am. Ready and waiting. Then I'll count us in in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Into episode three. So this is where we're pivoting into a very different kind of story. Or oh, we're heading to a new location, aren't we? Now we are. We're heading to Zeos. It's it's interesting that, isn't it? Because you know, again, going back to two, so three, two partners. First two parts are Adrios. Now we go to Zeos, and we spend all the time in Zeos, more or less. And then the next two episodes is all the planet of evil. The planet of evil. Go on, so I say it. Not the planet of wretched evil, of course. <laughs> Not that one, no. Because mm -hmm. uh, they keep calling it the planet of evil, but it's is it a planet or is it a space station? Because it looks very much like a space station. It does, doesn't it? it, it does. In fact, do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of that space station that's in Series 2, Episode 1 of Blake 7, Redemption. It reminds me of that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah with, the, with the big balls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know better than to give me an opening like that. <clears throat> so Romana's on her own now, though. So she's got a chance to be incredibly proactive. Yes. Unfortunately, she's saddled with her own companion in Merak. Astra. Astra. Oh, bless. But you promised. I really think um, William Squire... Is that the guy's name who plays Shadow? Yeah. Yeah. Like here, listen to his voice here. He sounds super he creepy. A phenomenal voice. I love his voice. And yet by the end he's going, Whoa, ah, 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 ah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh 
do we think maybe he's the who would sorry who did you see the head of drama or say uh graham mcdonald do we think he's maybe seen this episode and thought yeah okay that can go out but the next <laughs> one you need to tone it down guys yeah maybe it's sort of in the script usually it's the scripts that he's scribbling all over <laughs> i mean they wouldn't let them call it armageddon would they that, no that exactly was no <coughs> oh, excuse me, my, my gin's going down the wrong way. <coughs> so, what's happening now is the, the shadow, now he's got the doctor, is bored of his war games and he's just turned the war off and let them let them loose. But obviously he's wound the marshal up to such an extent in doing that, that that's never going to work. He's just going to want to go out and blow some more things up. Here he is. He has his first actual appearance. And this is a really <laughs> sinister scene. <laughs> As I laughed over the It's just that. <laughs> Come on, have you never dealt with co workers like that? I have, you know, when they're not behaving. <laughs> <laughs> I like the design of that little cell as well, you know. Like, everything's yeah, done, it's, it looks a bit different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's a very drab set, the rest of it. Well, a- the Atrios. Ozios. We're doing the joke from episode oh, one. Oh, oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I quite like the Mentalist set. I think I think it's, it works because the whole isn't the whole idea that Zeos has is deserted. Zeos was never a planet of people. Mm-hmm. It was just this computer pitching it's it ships against Atrios. You know, it's it's so it's it's dusty, it's dirty, it's deserted and I think I think it's a clever idea that you're led to believe that it's a massive army, you know, and it is the same as Atrios. And then you just go to this barren set with this computer in the middle. And it basically kind of exposes the pointlessness of war because lots of people are dying for no reason whatsoever, you know, as a game of logic, technically, yeah? I think, think that's an angle that could have, again, been played a lot more if maybe you had um, the computer and Atrius as well. Yeah. So, oh, know, I see what you mean, one against the other. Yeah, so it's just computer versus computer, and it's always going to be a stalemate because the two exactly, you know, logical thinking machines, it's always going to end up just annihilation of both. And that's what we get in the very next story. I was just going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Two totally logical war machines unable to outthink each other. Fascinating. That's pretty (laughs) contentious, isn't it? Because they suggest that the Daleks are robots don't they yes rather than mark three travel machines but you're right that probably would have uh if they had done two computers in this story that would have driven that point home mm-hmm. a lot more effectively you, could have, you went went with the angle of sort of the horrors of what the futility of war went big on that but then it does go a little bit I've got a question for both of you then. Do you think okay. this sorry, this do you think this could be a four parter? Yeah. Yeah. I think what, um, what would you lose? What would you cut out? Because I wouldn't want to lose much. Well, 
this is the thing. I mean, when we did the invasion of time, we talked about how to structure a six-parter, you know, and the various ways that have been done in the past. So um, you've got the way that sort of Mount Book used to do, where you have more than one story running at once. Mm -hmm. like Colin Space, you've got the the miners and you've got the, 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 the two sort of different story strands which come together. Um, then you've got something like the invasion of time and the seeds of doom, where it is oh uh, two and four, yeah, yeah, four part with a two part, like your dog leg, <laughs> as they call it, stuck on the end. Or you've got the sort of classic Troughton era six parters, which is all about character, which is all your plot is your plot is could fit the four parts, but we'll stretch it over two and we'll just fill in bits with a bit of padding and a bit of a bit of character work. Um, so that's what you've got with this one. I feel though I've said it so many times now, we're talking about you know, you can look at this as three, two partners. Um, I think you know it's it's all character work. So yes, you could make it a full partner, but you are gonna lose something that you're gonna like. And that's the same for a lot of yeah. Look at something like um, Ice Warriors or Fury from the Deep. You know, you can make them four partners, but you have to chop out bits which are actually entertaining. I so, think like every episode of Doctor Who's got something in it that's worth watching. You know, some a uh, great scene, a great character, a great moment. Yeah, I mean, certainly with this, you know, episodes one and two could just be one episode. Mm. Even even with K9 going down his his conveyor belt, that could just be a thirty second snippet if you want to have it in just for kids. That could be your sort of mid-episode. I mean, you mem remember that sequence where K9 goes in and wanders around Mentalis? That's basically the length of an episode, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. episodes three and four, again, there's a lot of just falling down random holes. And, and, and... <laughs> oh, I love that bit, though. one episode, so there you've already got, like, you know, first episode is Adios, second episode is Dios, third episode is Planet of the Shadows, Wrap it all up in episode four. Did so you know? Sorry, to... you are going to lose nice bits, nice scenes for people as a result of doing that. So, like just there, right? That whole scene was done in shadow, and then all the lights came up, and you're aware that the TARDIS was there and the pullback. Yeah, it's nicely done. Um, thinking about um, sort of things that I like in this story, I love the idea that the Black Guardian has positioned the shadow where the sixth segment is and just made him wait for a thousand years <laughs> until the Doctor turns up. And what's he done with that time? Has he just been sitting there howling at himself? It's no wonder that he, he laughs so much when the Doctor turns up. He because says he's it. Finally got nothing to do. Didn't he? He says it. He says, I've been watching Doctor Who. Because at one yeah. point he goes, I've been watching your jackdaw meanderings. <laughs> My favourite line of the whole story, that. Uh, it's perfect. Oh, I but, hope he enjoyed the Dominators. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Frank. But, but it's such a great idea and think, yeah, actually, that's a sensible move from the Black Guardian to station someone where he knows the sixth segment is. He can't get the sixth segment till the Doctor turns up, but he knows eventually he'll get there yeah. and then he can just grab the whole lot in one go without having to do all that meandering around Rebos and um, Calufrax and Earth and Tara and the Delta Free, the moon of Delta Magna. And I mean, is the idea that he's only, he's only been watching the key to time season or has he been literally, <laughs> has he been watching since an unearthly child? Oh yeah. 
Well, if you're going to do something, do it properly. I mean, well, what would uh, you do? What would you do if you were waiting all that time? Well, I'd watch Doctor Who. <laughs> That's what I do generally. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. And it's a good moral lesson for the kids, is that, yes, um, the Shadow, the Black Guardian, they took the easy way. They're like, well, we'll sit here, we'll sit on top of that segment six and just wait for someone else to bring us the other five and they lose whereas the ones that have done out and done the work and done the graft put the tape put the legwork in are the ones that win what were we saying Brilliant. earlier about you doing a spreadsheet and nathan doing the blog i'll just wait at the, i'll wait at the end for you to finish all that all right <laughs> oh dear. also you get to have all the fun by going out and collecting your 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 pieces of crystal I think like people get, I mean, I'm jumping the gun. People get a bit pissed off by the ending of this because it's like, oh, well, we've got them all together and then we've, we've broken them all apart again. But I think they're missing the point that the journey was the fun, you know? And, you know, what the hell else are you going to do, really? How, how Doctor Who's not going to be able to show global chaos being, or universal chaos um, happening it's not going to be able to show all of that, not in this era. And, you know, how will you want the Doctor to do something clever and fun and funny to defeat the boring Guardian? Yeah, and he does but, as well. It's, it's brilliant. And it is that question, is like, what, what would you actually like to happen at the end then? If you're mm -hmm. not happy with the way this ends, the way the fact that they get to keep the thing together, they have to get rid of it, they have to disperse again because evil will prevail and I think they, they sell the idea just in that one bit where he's like, I control the key to time. It's so funny. And it's very witty as well. Um, I've got a, a, got a question for you, Sai, um, because I okay. feel like you have explored, or certainly in your childhood, the Target novels a bit more than I have. And I know the late Williams target novels come in for like quite a lot of cr uh, criticism for being, you know, kind of slimline, very quickly, mm -hmm. very fastly written. How did the Armageddon factor fare? Well, I'll tell you, um, in about um, two weeks tomorrow and 40 years, was the day I bought the Armageddon factor novel because it was my sixth birthday. And um, my dad took me, it's one of my stories, I'm sorry. Go for it, <laughs> we, we love them. <laughs> um, it, uh, it was my sixth birthday and my dad took me to town after school, spend my birthday money, and um, that's when I bought my first Target book. So July the 7th, 1981. And The Armageddon Factor was one of the ones that I bought on that day because it had a tremendous cover of Tom looking magnificent with Mary Tan next to him. Um, yeah. Um, but generally, I, when I was reading the books when I was small, it was those slimline Tom Baker books that were the ones I read and reread and read again because they were a comparatively easy read but you could get through a story really quickly because they were told so economically. And I've sort of said it before that writing simply is not writing without talent. Writing simply takes a huge amount of talent and takes a lot more talent than flowery literary prose. 
writing for children is a much much bigger skill than it is writing for adults and knowing how to pitch it and terence dix never ever got it wrong he had like an economy of prose in there i use that yeah. word a lot but that doesn't mean like you say a lack of talent he could set a no. scene in a paragraph yeah he can tell an episode in two chapters yeah. if he needs to and what i also love about his books is that he script edits as he goes along and thinks so now that doesn't quite work so i just i'll just change that how i would have done if i was in charge and i'm not having that what's and the do you know what i should know i'll tell you what's the most egregious example of that and it's not even a target novel it's the eight doctors where on the first page he goes oh what was it that happened in san francisco it was the most bizarre series of events it didn't make any sense and uh i'm not sure half of it actually genuinely happened and as for me being half human i don't know what the fuck that was all about right <laughs> he's so naughty at times isn't he mm -hmm. But there was something so reassuring about his books and the fact that you'd get the same descriptions of things turning up all the time. And it just felt like that was Doctor Who to me growing up. Well, here's, here's a question for both of you then, because I, I don't I know, Fraser, you've been reading Target novels as an adult. Are they lacking? No. Because they're simply written? No, not at all. Um, no, I've been reading targets um, during my my dinner break at work. Um, there's, there's, there's nothing missing. Um, you can tell some that are quite quite clearly, you know, um, pitched at kids. Um, like Sai says, you know, ten sticks vote for children. Other people tend possibly not do that. Um, but nothing lacking from them at all. It's um, what I find is the really just compact nice little books to take somewhere and read and i think this is probably one of the reasons why you know we'll have people like Sai who um you know got into doctor who through these books because they are pocket sides they fit in your, the yeah. pocket of your jacket when you go to school you can just shove one in without your mum knowing that you've taken it off the jail <laughs> that's why i take a target to work is because it fits in my bag it fits in my coat pocket mm -hmm. Literally nice and slim. I've got like hard backs and whatnot on the shelf. I need to read those and whatnot, but they won't fit to take to work. Whereas, or anything work, school, taking to school, taking whatever. So I think, um, you know, the targets are great. You both talked about taking target books away from you, school, work, whatever. I, there's a question I have to ask, which has nothing to do with the Armageddon factor. So I apologise to anyone listening, but. Are you out of the closet as Doctor Who fans at work? Oh, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Fraser? Yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's one of my one of the people I work with, one of my friends from work, who gave me a load of, of books, uh, not just targets, but other um, new adventures, missing adventures, quite a few. So uh, thanks to him, I'm working through. So yeah, everyone knows work or say he's with me target in the bedroom. And, yeah, I thought I, I worked out a long time ago that it's just not worth pretending to be something you're not. No. And actually, if people don't like it, that's up to that's their loss. I don't care. I actually. did. I did get that when someone asked me. I think I, I might have told you guys this on another one. Where I said I was doing a podcast, and, and they were like, "What about?" And I was like, "Doctor Who," and they just looked me up and down and went, 
why? <laughs> I had it at work today. It was um the mask I chose to wear today was was um a grab from the um season four Blake Seven um title sequence. And so I was sitting there at my desk wearing that and my boss came up, she said, That's the weirdest one you've come up with yet. She said, What is that? And I said, It's the Blake Seven title sequence. And she just said, Oh god, I loved Blake Seven when I was young. <laughs> Because I had a real crush on Paul Darrow. <laughs> and she said, but yeah, she said, oh, didn't we all? You have masks like no one else. <laughs> Paul Darrow in leather, I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Okay, so I'm going to circle this back to Armageddon Factor now. I'm supposed okay. to be, I'm supposed to be I moderating this. I want to something out here as well. Go for it. We go. The doctor says, well, I've never seen K9 do that before. And yet, He's forgotten that three, three stories before he does it in the pirate planet, he and does. he says, "I've never seen him do that before." <laughs> <laughs> he's had a busy time of it. He's, he's been given a he mission has. by God. Remember, like he's That's a busy true. guy. That's it. I mean, you've been all be talking. I've been watching watching the telly. Um, <laughs> I've been watching Shaft because what? <laughs> Whilst you've been talking, I've been watching the program. <laughs> Yeah. Who's the mercenary that Fraser's been watching? Shab. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. There's this sequence here, isn't it? Like, you would not have a TV sequence nowadays. It runs for about 30 seconds in complete silence where K9 goes around that computer. It just wouldn't happen now, would it? No. But compared to how we last saw K9, He's much quieter. You're not getting a lot of as he moves around, clanking around the set. He's quite quiet. So he seemed to be stuck in reverse. So look, he's going forward. Don't you think it'd be hilarious if there were subtitles so we could hear what they were saying to each other? <coughs> oh, what's your master like? Oh, he's a bit, bit of an odd time lord. He's quite eccentric. Oh, you know it would be flirtier than that. <laughs> I love your <laughs> enormous crystal. Like, yeah. Ooh, Sorry, gun. <laughs> Fraser, you were saying about Shap. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Who's the guy that Fraser obsessed about? Shap. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we've started off with a very serious chap. Um, you know, he is. He's a very so, serious chap, isn't he? Oh, chap, he, sorry, yeah. He was happy enough, yes. <laughs> but now we're starting to see the sort of comedy element come out uh, of him. And the sort of, was that that, um, David Harry's? Yeah. Yeah, he, wonderful performance here. Once chap goes comedy, he's brilliant. Um, oh. stop, you know, it's sort of like facial expressions, um, the way he sort of holds himself. He really plays the sort of top officer. God's sakes. The internet chose to go off at that point. Okay, I'm going to start it again. Okay, so uh, Fraser, you were saying something about Shap. Becoming comedic. Yes. Okay. So that was well, when you dropped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I heard you say like at the beginning it was very serious, and then later on he goes very comedic, and then it kind of cut out. Right. Okay. Okay. 
So uh, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, so we'll see a wonderful performance by David Harris. Um, sort of the just the facial expressions that he's pulling, the way he's holding himself um, is, let's see that, he's pulling the gun. <laughs> it's, on him. It's, it's actually actually really funny. Um, and for all that I've said from the start, you know, I'll pick one, you know, make it serious or make it funny. <laughs> would, I, would, I, would I not want a, a funny shot? Would you prefer if he stayed how he was at the beginning? I, I, I see, this is the thing. This is the thing. I'm like, I'm sort of like contradicting myself now and saying that, yeah, um, the tone's jarring a bit, but I'm really enjoying the fact that I've got both, that I've had a, a really quite serious um, character, but now I'm really getting this. It's wonderful performance that's entertaining us. So, so interestingly, um, when I was talking to Toby Hado the other day, he named, what's the guy's name who plays Shap? David Harry's. David, thank you. I knew you would let me down. <laughs> he named David Harry's as we were talking about like styles of performance. And he said he thought that he starts off as if this is like a drama. Then he sees what Tom Baker's getting away with. And throughout the story, he becomes more pantomimic as it goes along. And I probably think there's some truth in that, you know. I think there probably is that, but it's kind of mirrored with the rest of the the story as well. Like I say, we've, we've completely talked over that episode, that, that scene with the shadow being introduced where he is very, he's very serious, he's very mean and moody. And then he just, in a couple of times, he's just going to start cackling all over the place. So it's not just, just to say, Pat Gorman, it's Pat Gorman, the Pat best extra in Doctor Who, the Pat Gorman klaxon is sounding, Pat <laughs> Gorman, <laughs> and he's getting lines. <laughs> Does that mean something terrible is going to happen to him, though? Probably. <laughs> but I think this is quite nice as well, the way it leads you to thinking, oh, my God, you know, this is all coming to a head. He's going to fire the mm -hmm. missile. And then they manage to use the key to time it in a really clever way. Yeah, that's brilliant. The two, but again, it's, you know, if the cliffhanger was fire, then you think, oh, bloody hell. I'll have to come back next week and see what happens there because obviously you can't be doing that. But it's kind of like it's a pre-cliffhanger, as it were. It's an amuse boot of a cliffhanger. Are you saying that John Woodvine's face is not appropriate enough to have a long, agonizingly long close-up in the cliffhanger? <laughs> is it gonna make you come back next week? <sighs> no, I'm going. Bye. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think I think you're. I, actually, I think you're both probably right that across the board in this uh, story, the cliffhangers are a little bit. Even the one we love is still. Mm -hmm. It's not really a moment of great jeopardy, is it? Or I don't love episode five cliffhanger because it is an excellent cliffhanger. We love it because it is just well, and it's so out of the blue. Like it's the last thing you expect, mm -hmm. isn't it? Right, but I've got a question for you two now. Oh, wow, we're doing conversation oh. before and after the episode. I love it. So we had, um, in the run-up to this this cliffhanger, we had the Doctor discussing the Armageddon factor. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as I'm aware, there's only one other episode where the title of the episode itself is spoken during the story 
apart from the obvious ones like Rose or Dalek or something like that, which would be the Claws of Axos. Yeah. Claws of Axos are very deep within the Earth. Uh huh. What, are, you, are you asking when there's others? Yeah. Oh, Tell Dexeter we've come full circle. Can I not? I can't include the planet ones. Can I? Legopolis, Castroval, no. Frontiers. Okay, all right. Um, you've never seen such a state of decay. Oh, you're good at this. <laughs> oh, obviously they mentioned the Happiness Patrol a lot in the Happiness Patrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, True, oh, yeah. Don't they mention the Curse of Fenric in the Curse of Fenric? They do. Oh. It's hell. This will be our last battlefield. Hang on, there's more. Come on, there must be more. Um... Survival of the fittest ace. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, wait. Um, I don't remember what he says, but he does say Pyramid of Mars in that one. He does. Mm-hmm. Um... Buried inside Zanuck. The pirate planet. Oh, <laughs> okay. Come on, let's let's top this off. Oh, you are was in a chase. <laughs> Let the talons of Wing Chang shred your flesh. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody says the twin dilemma, do they? No. Oh, Perry, this seems like a twin dilemma. <laughs> 